uh, I'm a big guy and and uh, and I was like, you know, I'm used to carrying a 50 to 60 pound pack, doing big days. And here's this little skinny runner weenie, you know, what the heck is this guy getting to do? You know, he's just going to burn up out there. He can't handle it. And he's looking at me like, who's this hiker goofball? I'm a world-class ultramarathoner. You know, what the heck is he thinking? I did a 75-mile uh, straight shot to Katahdin. I took one two-hour nap and two 15-minute naps along the way, but just did a straight shot. It's like, okay, there it is. I just got to push till the end. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Christian Ultra Podcast. I'm Christian Morgan, the host, and today's guest is Scott Grierson. Back in 1991, two amazing endurance athletes went after the fastest known time on the Appalachian Trail. One of them a world-class ultra runner, David Horton, and the other a super strong hiker, trail name Maniac, also known as Scott Grierson. I've got Scott on the show to talk about this, and also his love of adventure and his love of where he lives in Maine. So please enjoy the show. Scott Grierson is a three-time finisher of the Appalachian Trail, and he's not scared to go up against something big. Yeah, man, it's great to have you um, uh, finally to be able to talk. We've been trying to set this up for a bit. How's things over in Maine? How's the weather? Well, it's a little snowy. Uh, not too bad this winter. Uh, yeah. We've got ice on the ponds, but not a lot of snow. So uh, uh, typical winter, uh, moderate this year, I guess, but uh, a good good winter in Maine. Yeah. You, you also, as a young man, um, had uh, quite a lot of time in, um, in South America. And I thought maybe it would be a good idea to start off by talking about that opportunity to leave America, um, you know, step outside and go and explore and travel. And, and, and how did that opportunity arise? Uh, where did it come about? Well, uh, I'm, I'm really just a country boy up here. Uh, lived, a, uh, you know, a simple life here on the coast of Maine. Uh, uh, you know, we grew up with pigs and I grew up in a log cabin on uh, 40 acres of wood surrounded by more uh, protected land. So, um, you know, I'm not the, the average uh, suburbanite who heads to the woods. Really, uh, when I leave Maine, I'm getting more social experience or more a part of the world. So it goes the other way. Like when I leave where I am, I'm embracing the, the broader world. Yeah. And so that's a little different, I think, than a lot of outdoors people uh, that may come from an urban or suburban uh, background. But uh, uh, back when I was 17, I there was this uh, gorgeous Colombian exchange student. And uh, <laughs> I was following her around in high school and thought she was something else. And, and so I, one day in the art room, I told the art teacher, this was my junior year, I said, you know, it's just not right. You know, foreign exchange students can come here, but we can't go anywhere. And she's like, well, of course you can go somewhere. You just go down to the guidance and sign up. So a couple of weeks later, I was uh, signed up to go to Peru for my senior year in high school. Oh, wow. So it, that, that's insane, man. Um, and, and the uh, quite hot Colombian exchange student, did you uh, 
get into any more talks with her or <laughs> uh, no that didn't pan out but uh, <laughs> but eventually I, I met my wife in uh, the middle of the amazon rainforest in a little village on the upper amazon and we've been married for uh, 23 years got three sons and uh, so it all worked out oh you got three boys got three sons yep. oh, okay yeah i thought it was two all right okay three wow that's that's just and and so what how did that first trip um, influence and change your life? When you came back, did you feel, um, you know, more experienced as a, as a traveler and as a young man? Absolutely. Uh, and, and it wasn't easy. You know, you know, at the beginning, it's fun to be away from home. But uh, nine months away, didn't know the language, uh, didn't have a clue what was going on. Uh, it was tough. Uh, mm. But uh, and that probably paved the way for my adventuring and my proclivity toward, uh, you know, adventure challenges. Um, you know, it probably was already there, mm. but uh, I had to really suck it up when I went to Peru and uh, adapt and uh, be strong, adapt, make the most of it, enjoy um, some of the same you know, aspects you have to have as a, as an endurance hiker or as a endurance athlete or as a backpacker. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can identify with you. I went to Egypt once and uh, I was on holiday and I thought this isn't much of a holiday. It feels like hard work, you know, because obviously um, it's not all roses the whole time when you're traveling. And uh, I do remember that um, I, I found it, I found it, um, challenging but i overcame the challenges and i came back and i suppose it all adds to your you know your um strength as a person i think when you can experience hardship or something which isn't the norm and and come back so you translated that into your your um endurance uh pursuits yeah and and it, up until that time i really uh, hadn't done anything athletic um like i said i I was a country boy. I would hunt and fish and hike into ponds to, you know, in the pursuit of trout, uh, things like that, but never really did sports, played a little baseball, but that was it. Um, yeah, that just wasn't my thing. Had never run before. Um, so between, I would say, you know, when I was 17 and midway through my uh, year, I was 20, I spent a lot of time in Latin America. Um, one of the, one of the reasons was the drinking age, uh, 21 here and it uh, was non-existent there. So, <laughs> so that was definitely a plus for international travel, but, uh, um, what did those guys drink over there? Well, uh, see, we could talk uh, all day about uh, South <laughs> America, but they, they do drink beer, but they also have Masato, which okay. is a spit beer concoction where uh, the ladies chew on the manioc root, spit it out, it ferments and you drink it. Wow. Uh, you know, there's chicha, there's all sorts of things. Aguardiente. Yeah. All right, all right, Let, let's make Oh, yeah, it. but, uh, and, and, uh, you know, we, uh, but, but I had, you know, the whole idea was, I just loved exploring. I loved travel. Uh, my dad had been a member of the Explorers Club in New York. He'd been on an expedition to New Guinea back in the 60s. Stanley. Uh, Stanley O'Grissom. Stanley. Stanley yeah. O. Yep. And uh, so so I had that, but, you know, raised on good stories of uh, adventures. And uh, so when opportunities came along, I embraced them. And uh, mm. 
So that, that got me going. And I did do a little bit of backpacking in Bolivia and Peru. Mm. Um, but then uh, back in, um, I was uh, dabbling in college back then too, and when I'd be home. And uh, I remember talking to a fellow uh, at a party, uh, must've been winter of 88. It's like, yeah, you know, I'd really like to bike across the country. You know, there's, yeah, I read this book about a fellow who'd walked across the country. And, and I thought, you know, maybe biking be easier. You know, that sounds like fun, you know, bike across the country. And, and he says, well, what about the Appalachian Trail? And I was like, the what? And uh, <laughs> so he told me about the Appalachian Trail. And in short order, a few weeks later, I was in a car headed down to Springer Mountain and off I went. And that was the start in 1988. Um, that's the, that's it. That's insane. So no planning, no kind of studying kit. You just like dive straight well, into it. Well, this was pre-internet days. <laughs> yeah. or, you know, this is way back. And and uh, I didn't have any books on the Appalachian Trail or anything. So I knew where it was. I knew where yeah. it started. Uh, drove down and, and took off. And what, what was kind of funny was... Uh, um, as I was getting out of the car and loading up my pack, this fellow walks over and says, yeah, I'm from National Geographic. Uh, do you mind if I take some pictures? I'm like, well, sure. And uh, so um, later that year, uh, I was featured in a uh, oh, book, Mountain Adventure yeah. by National Geographic about the Appalachian Trail. And I was the representative aspiring through hiker. He got some charming shots of me looking just bedraggled and absolutely miserable. <laughs> I had a 75 plus pound pack. Wow. I had a boat, a bag swinging off of me in front, rain poncho. <laughs> I was absolutely clueless. And I was like, yep, yeah, I'm headed to Maine. And uh, so, so uh, you know, it didn't say in the book whether I made it or not. Uh, most people would read uh, there that, uh, oh, here's the aspiring hiker with no chance in Hades to ever get anywhere. Yeah. But I knew, you know, I was ready. I was going to adapt. You know, yeah. it was, uh, what needs to be done and I'll get there. What, and, uh, what, what adaptions did you, because so did you finish that first through hike then? I did. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And, uh, and I had no doubt, but uh, once again, I had no clue. And so my intent, was to resupply four or five times between Georgia and Maine. Wow. I had about, I had about 40 pounds of food. My mother had uh, given me like a five pound sack of bulgur wheat. And I still wouldn't know what to do with bulgur wheat to this day. <laughs> I have no idea. So I'd put a little bit in my soup and try to eat it. And eventually I'd dump that out in the woods. And, uh, and so I was headed to Hot Springs, 280 miles. That was going to be my shortest resupply. Once I got in shape, then I'd suck it up from there and, you know, do four or 500 miles at a time. Well, that wasn't really what it was all about. So uh, <laughs> once again, I figured it out, adapted, and uh, and eventually made it to uh, Katahdin. So just, I mean, insane, man. You you Because, you know, there's a 75% dropout rate of people who start the 80 and, and only 25 or one in four people actually finish. And, and you just did it straight off, straight off. Yeah, and I, and I dare say probably the, success, the real success rate is much lower than that, too. I mean, mm, a lot of people yeah. say they do it, but eh, yeah, yeah, they kind of do it. But uh, um, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, hiking the Appalachian Trail, you're on the east coast of the United States. It crosses a ton of roads. I mean, all you got to do is walk. Mm. And if you're willing to walk, you get to Catan. So, yeah. um, I mean, it, yes, it's difficult, but it's absolutely easy and sure beats going to work. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, all you got to do is get up each day and enjoy nature and keep walking. I mean, how tough can that be? So, uh, and, and so when I started, I found it amazingly easy, except for the, the new boots and the, the overweighted pack. That took a while, but uh, it's, the hiking came easy to me. You know, I'm a, I'm a big guy and, uh, you know, and it, I just, I just loved it. And yeah. so, you know, as, as, as coming from a backpacker perspective at that time, you know, I do big days sometimes like we, you know, pump out 40 or 50 mile days sometimes, and then, and then do very little for a while or might hang out at a, you know, some guy's house up in the mountains for several days or whatever it might be. Um, you know, it, uh, it, it, but the hiking part came real easy to me. So mm -hmm. the challenge that I was seeking in 88, you know, yeah, it was a challenge, but like I said, man, it sure be going to work. So yeah. uh, I wanted a bigger challenge and eventually I let's talk <laughs> about that let's, let, let, let's jump into that so 88 you finished your through hike um wh how where are you what are you doing and and then when were you inspired to actually go back and go for a second one yeah so 88 um i turned 21 on the trail um you know was just looking for lots of adventure um so when i got done uh came back and worked i think it was a carpenter that year um and then 89, went back and did another 1,500 miles, uh, mostly southbound on the AT. Okay. Yeah. Actually, there was a, a fellow who invited me. He said, yeah, let's hike southbound, and then we'll go to Australia, and we're going to hike across Australia. And I'm like, sure, all right. So, <laughs> so I told everybody, yeah, I'm hiking the AT again, going southbound. Well, he didn't pan out. It wasn't, he just, you know, wasn't doing what he said he was going to be doing, so... Uh, you know, a couple of weeks into my southbound fall winter through hike, uh, he's gone. And I'm out there like, why, why the heck am I out here? But then it's like, well, I told everybody I'm going to do it. So now what do I do? And so eventually I did go home at Christmas, um, but, uh, and then finished that out in sections. Yeah. But, uh, but I kind of, you know, back then, you know, once again, I was entirely steep in the backpacking community so knew nothing about ultra runners uh that was a foreign concept so um so a lot of my associations my friendships all of that were based around uh the appalachian trail um the there's a you know a, a it the trail to me is is like a, a flowing river it's this river of people moving up and down the trail, going in different directions, you know, not quite like a river, they're headed in different directions, but there's this flow of life that goes up and down. So, you know, you meet somebody in Tennessee and then you see them again in Vermont, but you know, that life, that flow of people, stories, um, energy, 
you know, and, and even if you step off the trail for, you know, years, you step back on and boy, you meet somebody who knew somebody and you hiked with them or you were there at the shelter with them years ago. So there's this amazing flow and connection between people on the trail. And I think that would be true of any long distance trail. And so part of that is always, you know, in a shelter, at a campsite, or wherever you are, hanging out with your buddies. It's like, yeah, well, who who did it the fastest? You know, or who who's done what? Or, hey, you hear about that guy who did that? Or, or that woman who did that? And that's part of the trail lore. And so back then, um, the, the record for many years was Warren Doyle's record, which I think yeah. was like 66 days and change. Um, then, um, at some point there was a guy, uh, Avery, uh, maybe John Avery. I don't know. He had 65 days. He was some marathon runner from uh, Boston. Yeah. So he had the record then. Um, so I was like, well, Hey, I'm able to do some pretty crazy stuff. I could do 50 mile days with a 50 pound pack. You know, it's like, Hmm. You know, maybe maybe I need to be top dog out here, you know, or enter the enter the lore, you know. So, yeah. so in '90, I was out hiking with a buddy, uh, this guy a Gator from Florida, and uh, we're like, you know, we ought to go for the record. And Gator was a strong hiker I'd known from '88, and uh, so like, yeah, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. So we made up our mind, hey, we're we're gonna do it, and. Uh, and so that was in early spring of 90. And then we really finalized our plans. Then it's like, all right, let's work. Let's put our money away. Let's make sure we're in good shape and let's do this thing. So shortly after that, I dislocated my kneecap um, in a karate training thing, a little karate match, dislocated my kneecap. So that wasn't good. And that still bothers me a little bit till, till this day, but, uh, so every uh, spring in early May, there's trail days in Damascus, Virginia. And I was there, I think, for the second trail days ever, which was in 88. Uh, we had, I don't know, maybe, you know, 30 hikers there. That was it in town. I remember getting there on a Thursday night and there was like nobody there. And now it's this huge festival of many, many thousands of people. Yeah. But uh, uh, so... So we're at trail days and, uh, well, so I'd finished that hike with Gator and then I bust messed up my knee. So then I was like, gotta go to trail days. So I had to hire a friend of mine from college, uh, paid her to drive me to trail days because my knee was in this immobilized thing and I couldn't drive. And I'm hopping around on crutches with my knee in a brace, you know, with Gator telling everybody, yeah, we're going out to the speed record. <laughs> And people are looking at it. It's like, there's no way. What are these goofballs talking about? But, uh, you know, I was serious. And uh, yeah. so uh, that winter, I moved down to, uh, to Blairsville, Georgia for uh, several months right there at the start, just below Blood Mountain. Mm. And trained every day, uh, met a ton of hikers, met all the hikers as they were getting ready to start. Uh, basically trained on the trail every day. And uh, my girlfriend at the time worked at Neil's Gap at the Outfitters. Mm. And uh, so I got to meet everybody and say, hey, I'll see you up the trail. I'm starting later on. I'm going to catch you, you know. And, 
and talked to everybody. And so that was a lot of fun. All the hundreds and hundreds of hikers I met that spring, I got to see again uh, as I uh, went up the trail a little faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, geez, so this is, I mean, this is really exciting. Uh, You were very close starting your attempt at the same time, quite um, an accomplished ultra runner, David Horton started his attempt. In fact, I think he started a few days after you. He was two days after me. Yep. Uh, We, uh, we each heard about each other through outfitting companies uh, because we were each looking for some little bit of sponsorship, um, you know? Yeah. And uh, so we heard of each other and I can't remember if I called him or he called me, but one of us got the other's number and we chatted and, uh, uh, you know, I don't think either one took the other seriously. Um, you know, we were polite, you know, but, uh, it's like, uh, my experience, you know, once again, here I am, you know, I'm a, I had trimmed down for that, uh, hike. I got down to about 220 yeah. and, uh, I'm a big guy and, and, uh, and I was like, you know, I'm used to carrying a 50 to 60 pound pack doing big days. And here's this little skinny runner weenie, you know, what the heck is this guy going to do? You know, he's just going to burn up out there. He can't handle it. And he's looking at me like, who's this hiker goofball? I'm a world-class ultra marathoner. You know, what the heck is he thinking? And uh, so we, we, you know, we bantered back and forth a little bit and uh, he tried to get me to start at the same day. And I'm like, no, I got, we got our day picked and, you know, so he started uh, two days after me and, uh, unfortunately, my friend Gator, he he burned out by the Smokies. Uh, yeah. It took us four days to get to Fontana Dam. It was like 164 miles, something like yeah. that. And uh, and he was done. Um, just wasn't what he was after. And, That's got to uh, be a pretty, pretty big, um, uh, you know, knock in your uh, resolve because suddenly you've set out let, let me just ask you about when you were setting out because david horton was going after a supported attempt you know he had a crew yep. had people to give him massage food i mean you and gator are just setting out in what like self-supported fashion or did you also have support along the trail no we had support as well we had okay. uh, some hiker buddies that um that came out this fellow serendipity was crewing us so we had some other other help yeah um but when but still your partner was you know someone who you'd intended to share oh, these we, experiences with he was done he was quite done. early on and four days he was yeah. done and then because it wasn't quite what everybody thought it was going to be uh the support crew eventually failed as well wow so yeah by the time 10 days in that was over i think <sighs> i think they limped along to trail days once again i i timed one of the reasons i wouldn't change my schedule of the yeah. to meet match david uh was i had it set so we'd arrive at trail days during our record attempt yeah so i went to uh, trail days i think it was that saturday night go to the go to the same bar where uh you know we'd been hopping around on crutches the year before saying i was going to do it and uh but at that point my crew was done they yeah. were done so my, uh, my other uh, well, well, friend of mine, Lone Wolf, David Blair, uh, he's uh, quite a character. He's a blue blazer. He, 
he i believe he invented the term hiker trash wow uh, that's he, pretty that's pretty cool <laughs> indeed and uh he coined that back in the late 80s and uh so i got to talking with him i'm like look buddy i need help my crew was done you know, I'm still on pace. I need a crew. And he's like, all right, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do it. And so then I had to track down a vehicle and another buddy, Hago, came down from Maine, brought a truck. So I had to backpack for two days there by myself to get yeah. up to uh, Atkins, Virginia. I think it was uh, two days up. And uh, the truck arrived, Lone Wolf got there, and then I had a crew again. Yeah. And they were awesome from nice. then on out. So... Uh, I guess the the big difference between Horton and I was really, you know, once again, we were backpackers, you know, we were guys that wore hiking boots, we, you know, were used to the big packs, the big weight, um, you know, I mean, it's hiking's changed a little now, but uh, you know, the, re the reason we really didn't take the runners seriously was it's like, you know, we're carrying 50 plus pound packs and doing near two or more than a marathon every day in the mountains. Mm. Who are these little, little skinny twiggy looking runners? You know, who are these guys? You know, they can't hack it out here. So we had no idea. We were clueless. Uh, yeah. But we were tough as nails too. I mean, we could go all day. Uh, Horton was faster, but uh, you know, we could have grabbed a hold of him and uh, <laughs> been over. Uh, so, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, we, uh, well, so, when, so that was so so we readjusted there so hmm. while david was two days behind me and he was struggling with some physical issues i was doing great physically but having crew problems and just struggling to pull the rest of it together which is of course huge uh, you have to have a crew to to really drop the record were you getting feedback from your crew or outside sources about how far David was behind you and if he was gaining on you at certain points? No, no. I mean, this is pre-social media. I had yeah. no idea. I mean, occasionally maybe someone would give us a report or something, but uh, no, we really didn't know what he was up to. And, and, and really, it really didn't much matter to me. Um, my goal was to well, my original goal was to beat every Avery's time, which was 65 days. Yeah. Um, but since in 90, after uh, Gator and I had said we were going for the record, Ward Leonard dropped it down to 60. And yeah. so now the record is 60 and change with Ward. And it's like, okay, I guess our time, we, we better be under 60. So the, the stated goal was 56 to 60 days. That was our target. Yeah. So 56 to 60 days, that would be a success. And the other piece was to be nice the whole way. Yeah. Now, I know that might seem a little peculiar, but it does um, explain. Please explain. Yeah, because, uh, you know, different people run on different energy. Uh, some people, you know, I guess need to be mad to fuel themselves. <laughs> um, that's not me. And I'm not uber competitive i mean yeah i am but yeah i'm not yeah. and so i was seeking something else so um so ward leonard who had trimmed the time down um i only met him once and i 
I didn't know who he was at the time. He may have known who I was, maybe not, but we didn't talk, didn't interact. But I knew his reputation. And, you know, he had a reputation of, uh, uh, you know, mixing it up with people, saying some outrageous stuff, getting verbal conflicts, and then he'd bust out huge mileage, kind of feeding off the, the vibe, mm-hmm. you know, or at least that was the reputation. So mine was, all right, well, let's have, let's have a happy guy bust the record. You know, you don't have to be, you know, confrontational. Let's just get it done. And so that was a big piece of what I did. Um, And so we would uh, feed hikers whenever we camped out. We always had extra food. We always had extra beer. We always had extra, um, you know, sodas and things. Uh, While I was doing the trip, you know, I'd hit a road crossing and I'd have a little fanny pack with, you know, two little water bottle holsters. And I'd usually put a beer in one or a soda in one. (laughs) And then... When I'd meet a hiker, like, hey, have a beer, you know, have a soda or, you know, hey, if you get down to the road quick enough, they got burgers or whatever. So so that was a, a fun part of it was kind of mixing it up and having fun with all the hikers who were our friends. Um, the only time I believe I failed with the mission of being friendly was uh, going into Baxter State Park. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did a, a 75 mile uh, straight shot to Katahdin. I took one two hour nap and two 15 minute naps along the way, but just did a straight shot. It's like, hey, there it is. I, I just got to push till the end. Yeah. And so I was, go- we got to uh, the base of Katahdin, uh, well, we got to the top of Katahdin at 8.34, but must've been, it was just before, you know, sunset, late afternoon uh, in Baxter State Park and some really excited tourists were like, hey, hey, there's a moose over here. Check out the moose. And I said something like, I've seen enough stinking moose (laughs) and kept walking. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I've turned into Ward Leonard. Uh, And it's like, no, I can't be doing that. And uh, but I did. And and those people probably thought I was a real jerk. but, you know, I was absolutely exhausted uh, and I was uh, not yeah. interested in seeing any more moose. And uh, but it was kind of a interesting comparison between, you know, these day people so excited to see a moose and yeah. me like, oh, I am done. Uh, Got to get up that mountain. That's not bad, though. If you went um, if, you know, one of your goals was to be a nice guy and you did is it the exact time is just say the so exact 55, time 55 days 20 hours 34 minutes so i was it, under my goal yeah yeah so like uh, uh if you were managing to you know be nice for 55 days and then there was one occasion <laughs> and you remember it how many years later um 20 was it 25 years later then yeah. i think you did pretty well um <laughs> in my book right there well it uh it was one of the goals and, uh, you know, ha- having the, you know, the experiences with the other hikers and being part of that scene is very important to me. Um, you know, probably the, the hardest, well, I, I was trying to think of the hardest things there were to deal with. And one was just the raw physical uh, abuse of the body. You know, I lost 42 pounds in eight weeks. 
Um, I was eating like crazy, but yeah, it was like three quarters of a pound a day. I'm losing in weight. Uh, could have pushed me over with a feather at the end. You know, I just become emaciated, never been that skinny. Um, so that was tough. The sleep deprivation was tough. Um, but I think the toughest thing was, uh, passing by really neat social opportunities. Yeah. Um, I remember there were, you know, two friendly young hiker ladies that I'd met previously and, and I was hiking through and had like five more miles to go in the dark. And they're like, Hey, stay here, camp with us. And, and I'm like, no, I've got five more miles. To go. <laughs> and then a similar thing happened in uh, the Shenandoahs. Um, actually Warren Doyle was waiting for me. Um, I didn't know that at the time. I, friend lone wolf was down at the road and warren waited and waited and finally gave up i guess i don't know but we saw him the next day but uh uh i i came around uh, i was hiking through the night and i came around somewhere and i saw some police cars or look like you know lights from a vehicle not not on but i could see like uh you know like look like police vehicles or ranger vehicles and i'm like uh oh what do we got here and since yeah. the lights weren't on I was like, uh-oh, they're probably just about to bust somebody. And so oh, I just, well, I got to hike through here. So there was a, a shelter there. And so I came around the shelter and where this logging road or little forest service road was with the, with the, with the, with the vehicles. And the rangers were having a keg party. And so here you had the park rangers in Shenandoah they were having a party. There was this just charming young blonde woman who was just mesmerized by me. I was mesmerized by her, had a couple <laughs> of drinks. You know, I was stumbling after two, two beverages and off I had to go into the night. Had to hike I forged ahead and met Lone Wolf down at the road. And he's like, where, where were you? Where were you? And I was like, well, I got a story for you. He's like, yeah, well, Warren was here waiting. And so, but you know, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have GPS. We didn't have cell phones, so we couldn't communicate. We'd have to, you know, talk at a road crossing and say, "Yeah, I'm feeling strong. I think I'll make it up here by so and so." And it was all by feel. So, yeah, yeah. a lot different than now. Uh, you know, now you can, uh, you know, even a regular backpacker can call and say, "Yeah, I'll be down at the road. Send the shuttle, and I'm off to town, or whatever." It's like. We didn't it's have completely it. different. Let, let me ask you about when, so there was a point when David passed you on the trail. Can you remember when that was and how it impacted you at the time? And then for the next couple of hours or days, how did you feel about that? Yeah, well, well, let me, well, all right. Well, we'll go right to that. Uh, yeah, it was Congdon Camp, Vermont. And uh, I do have a good story from the day before that though. But let, he, let, well, let's start in. with a good story then. Go All with right. a good story well, first. So we knew he was coming because yeah. my crew had seen him um, or his, my guys had seen his guys. So we knew he was getting close. So we were coming out the last part of, must be Massachusetts, right before uh, Vermont. And there's a big section of woods in there. I think it's like 40 miles or so with uh, Mount Everett. So anyway i'm walking along through there and here's this old guy coming down the trail the other way and of course back to my always being nice always visiting 
know, I'd always stop, say hello to people. I never blew by people. I'd always say hello. So I'm like, hello, how you doing? And he's like, uh, well, okay. He goes, well, not so good. I'm like, well, what do you mean? And so here I'm now I'm getting antsy because I got to keep going. But uh, <laughs> he's like, well, uh, could you tell my wife uh, if when you get out, could you give her a call and tell her I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm heading north on the Appalachian Trail. And when I get out, I'll uh, give her a call. And I'm like, huh. Because he was hiking south. Yeah, south. Going yeah. north, and he was going south. So I was like, hmm, well, you're going south. Well, I chatted with him for a few minutes, and he and a buddy had been up on one of the mountains, and they'd gotten lost, and he'd spent the night out. And he, you know, this guy was 70s, 80s, um, and he'd been out all night. And he'd made a bed of some boughs, and but he he was uh, you know not so good. And uh, so I'm like, well, you know, the best place is up this way. And he goes, I just came down from that mountain. And I go, well, that's the quickest way to a parking spot. I said my crew is up there; they'll get you out. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'll be be okay. So I walked to them, slowed things down. And right now I'm kind of getting worried because I knew David Horton wasn't too far behind me. And that he'd put in big days uh, and go faster. And then I'd hike later on into the day and pull further ahead. So I was like, man, he might be right behind me anytime. And I was like, hmm, kind of like to get moving. But anyway, I walked with the guy. We got him up the mountain. My buddy Lone Wolf uh, takes him because he was worried about me. He's like, where am I? And uh, so he'd backtrack looking for me. And uh, so he took over and was walking the fellow out. Well, I, that was the last I saw of him. So I hiked down to the road crossing. Um, and uh, I don't know if I had support there or not. Anyway, I had my Walkman on. I had to do a road walk there mm. to head into Vermont. So I'm listening to the radio. And I hear that such and such search and rescue has just captured, has just found the lost hiker. And I'm like what it's like <laughs> i just found the lost hiker i hiked him up the mountain and my buddy lone wolf was walking him out well apparently the search and rescue crew was at the parking lot and when lone wolf appeared you know like 50 feet from the parking area with the guy they're like hey we got him and they had their walkie-talkie and i was like oh my goodness but oh, the important thing was the guy was rescued which, which was yeah cool. But I was worried that day that Horton, I could just tell he was on my heels. He was going to catch up. So the next day he did at Congdon camp and a lone wolf and I had talked about all sorts of fun things we could do to him when we caught, when he <laughs> appeared, you know, but uh, I don't know. He weighs like 150 pounds dripping wet, you know, after, after big meal. But uh, uh, anyway, he, uh, he appeared and we were instant friends and, you know, we walked together and walked yeah. out to the road and i think that day after he stopped i did another 18 miles and uh so the next day you know i was that far ahead of him again but then we uh, so then the pattern over several days was he'd catch up and then it would be earlier and earlier each day and the last i saw him was in andover Ma uh, andover maine yeah. after the uh the mahusics and yeah. i got in at 1 a.m on one road and he was leaving out at i don't know four or five a.m from that same yeah. bed breakfast but from 10 miles up mm. and that was the last we saw of him 
Wow, that's that's something. Did that, that's I mean, you don't get to experience that with another human in daily life. You know that sense of camaraderie, com, like you know camaraderie, but at the same time competition, and also uh, I, I I feel you must have kind of bonded in a way. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, he's a different guy. Uh, you know, he's all about competition, competition, competition. And that's what makes him tick. Yeah. Um, you know, even my crew, when he passed me for good, or we saw him for the last time in Maine, they were deflated. Even Lone Wolf was bummed. And I'm like, didn't make any difference to me. Here, I'm yeah. on target for my goal. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Horton is just competition, competition. Um, yeah. my, my goal... Uh, I'd like to refer was the, I was a young man seeking the, the life and death battle of the beast. You know, I wanted that challenge. I wanted to see if I was who I thought I was. I wanted to see, well, I wanted to show the rest of the world. I am who I say I am. You know, if I say, Hey, I'm doing that. Well, by God, you better watch out. Cause I will. <laughs> uh, and you know, when you're young, you, you got to prove it. Um, uh, there was a, some baseball player once upon a time said, uh, it ain't bragging if and you can do it. And, you know, you got to do it. And so the, the, the speed hike in 91 for me was, was that, that challenge. I wanted to show myself, prove to myself I was who I thought I was. And I wanted to show the world, hey, yeah, I'm that guy. If I, if I say I'm going to do something, uh, better hold on because I will. And so that was important to me, but, but the times weren't. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, and, uh, uh, to have simul almost um, parallel goals, one, a time-based goal and two, a life-changing experience or actually living up to being a nice guy. Am I really a nice guy? Can I do that for 50 days, you know, under hardship, you know, to, to have two parallel goals is something I don't hear often. I don't think, yeah, rather than that tunnel vision, dual purposes of what you're doing. Well, and, and, pretty smart. Uh, pretty smart. Well, it 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 uh, that's probably why I'm not the fastest. <laughs> uh, you know, after yeah. the after the trip, uh, after the the speed hike ninety one, uh, Horton invited me to his Mount Masochist race, mm. where he was the race director, and I had never run before and. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll do that. And so I ran a, a five miler here in Maine. Um, and I think that was about it. I might have had maybe 20 miles of running total in my life ever. And and, and how uh, and far is Mount Ma Masochist that, Ultra? That's 50 miles. All that's right, gotcha, mile. gotcha. So I had never run even a cumulative 50 miles in my entire life. And so I did it and I was in the top third of the pack and, and I was like, wow, Hey, I'm not bad at this. You know, this is, this is good stuff. And so I got into ultra marathoning for a while. And, uh, and that's thanks to David. I mean, he, he yeah. really is an inspiration. Um, you know, he is very different. It, once again, it's all competition. It's, it's goals. It, it's pushing all the time, which isn't me, but uh, that, part is really neat you know yeah. and, I, and i like that um mm. so so after i developed uh, the ability to ultra run and uh figured that out i'm like well darn this you know 52 days that horton's got eh, 
you know, because I was, I averaged, I think it was 16 hours and 10 minutes a day on the trail. Wow. And he was under 12 hours. So I was thinking, well, darn, you know, if I just, you know, pull in the, the little downhill shuffle, I yeah. swap out my hiking boots for my running shoes, <laughs> do the little shuffle, do the little this, do a little that, I could be so much faster. And so I always thought 50 days was within my grasp if I wanted to do it again. But to me, and this would be different than a lot of people's mindsets, to me, being second or being first, the difference is so small. I mean, yeah. to some people, it would be huge. To me, I'm, I'm on the podium. It, it's, it's all yeah. good. You know, I, yeah. I don't need to be the top guy. I'm on the podium. I'm You're one the of those guys. Yeah. It, it, I'm, I'm just fine with that, you know? Yeah. And, and so I knew what it would take physically, mentally, financially, time-wise to commit to do that again and thought about it for, you know, a good decade. Do wow. I want to do that or not? But, yeah, it just, uh, you know, what would I have gained? And, yeah. uh, and and so that wasn't in me but doing ultras was and uh, so i did hard rock I yeah hard rock and oh i think that was maybe 94 anyway uh did hard rock went out with horton and trained out there and, yeah and uh and then did hard rock finished that i think it was 13th and um yeah that's that not that bad was that's pretty good hey eh? <laughs> top yeah. 20 yeah top 15 yeah i had uh i dropped out so I, I got somewhere where I have asthma that bothers me sometimes, but I typically just sort of deny it, especially when I was younger, I just ignore it. So I uh, didn't have an inhaler or anything. And so I, running through the night, that first night at Hard Rock, I got bad asthma. And so I got to an aid station and I was just wheezing. I was eighth, eighth place there, feeling strong. I just couldn't breathe. And, uh, so I laid down, they gave me a, somebody got me an inhaler. So I puffed on that a few times, laid down and I didn't tell anybody I quit, but I quit. And I sat there and had like a, I think I was there for about an hour and got a little bit of a nap. And this person comes over, Hey, heading on, right? I'm like, Oh yeah. Dead. And I just got up and kept going and I'd already quit. I just didn't tell anybody I quit. And I was just laying there and, uh, but then what, I just what put, point in the race was this? What mile? Oh, it, it was in the night of the, you know, maybe 60 miles. Something okay, like good that. over halfway. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd just done Handy's Peak mm. somewhere around there, one of the high points. And uh, but uh, but I just never told anyone I quit. And when somebody said, Hey, you heading out? Oh, yeah. And off I went. <laughs> I finished out. It was great. That's uh, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and then since then, though, um, I've gone back, uh, done, uh, have not done hard rock, but I've crewed at hard rock and um, I backpacked there, went back several different times, took my oldest son when he was 11. And we did a three week backpacking trip out there. Love the trout fishing for cutthroat trout up there. Uh, that's just amazing country. Mm. Um, so. I guess one of the things that's, that's most important to me about this, and I really appreciate the the chance in the interview to to talk about it, is yeah, um, you know, to me, my goal has always been to be a great outdoorsman. Mm. 
and not a, a great uh, athlete, but to be a great outdoorsman. And so even at first, backpacking was peculiar to me. It's like, well, you know, you start here and you hike over there and uh, what's the point? Uh, <laughs> uh, what's the objective here? Uh, and yeah. so when I first did the AT, I thought, all right, well, this is good skill building so I can access remote parts of the backcountry. You know, it's, this is kind of like going to school. I'll hike the AT, I'll learn these skills, then I can go wherever I want to go. And of course, it, that worked that way. But I also developed a, a passion for just backpacking. So mm. I don't need an excuse anymore, like a, a big, big fat trout or some elusive pond. Uh, yeah. You know, backpacking for its own reward is, is fine. But that was a novel concept to me. That seemed a little peculiar. So when it comes to uh, the outdoors, um, you know, the, the challenge part, the raw physical, that's just a piece of it. Like, yeah. like I think it's so valuable to know, you know, like how fast could it be done? You know, all the people have set records and changed the times and reduced them. You know, that tells us a lot about our species, about yeah. what we're capable of, about the possibilities, the human possibilities. I mean, that's amazing. Um, and then what one individual knows, like, what is your range? Like, what was my range in my 20s? What is my range now in my 50s? Yeah. You know, that information is all part of it. Um, and I think everybody has that piece, no matter what they're doing, if they're hiking or backpacking, it's like, yeah, I, you know, I'm going to get to the top of that peak without stopping yeah. or yeah, I hiked up such and such today or whatever. You you have that challenge bit of you. But but that's just one piece of the puzzle. And that's how I see it. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm, I'm just as apt to be the guy camping out on an island for two or three weeks off the coast of Maine, um, not going anywhere. Um, you know, that's that's really cool for me. Um, yeah. Or, you know, I'm an all season, uh, you know, guy here in Maine. So it doesn't matter. I'll camp on a frozen lake. Uh, actually, this week where my uh, sons and I are, are planning a, a little trip to a, a secret location. Uh, uh, it's a pond. Well, it's called Rainbow Pond, but uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. not so secret. But you still, <laughs> it's a tricky spot to get to. You got to hike in. And we, we'll hike in. We'll carry our snowshoes in case it snows. And you know fish through the ice camp out on the ice um, when you're camping on the ice do you have like an inflatable mat and a sleeping bag or uh yeah good i mean it all depends but yeah. uh, normally we just take a regular tent and uh, a foam a foam pad this foam, is fine yeah. uh we you know a lot of times i just go with cheap so just a cheap foam pad good sleeping bag and and uh, there's really not it's not that complicated but uh yeah um uh so so i think you know what I what I see out of the hiking community now is, um, you know, it, it's different than it was. Um, yeah. I think more people were into savoring their time in the backcountry, perhaps uh, years ago, yeah. and now they're moving through it quicker. Um, you know, a lot of hikers. You know, it's all about ultralight 
equipment, go as far and as fast as you can and get to a hostel, go back to town. Um, my goal is not to be in town. Uh, I want to be in the woods. Yeah. And so that's a, a different view on it. So I, I'm, so to me, the ultra part, the, the raw physical, it's fascinating. It's so rewarding. It's so valuable. But so is living off the land. So is, you know, knowing what species of duck you're looking at or yeah. knowing your trees or knowing your foods, uh, you know, knowing how to build a fire in the rain, no matter where you are. I mean, I usually don't carry a stove unless I'm obligated by law to carry a stove. Uh, you know, I just cook on fires. Uh, I don't mess with that stuff. Uh, and, um, you know, that that's there's so much to it, you know, tuning into nature and knowing what's there, knowing, you know, knowing your animals, knowing your plants, knowing your seasons, knowing your body, knowing uh, how to help other people, how to motivate somebody, how to, how to take a, a crew of people and do something. I mean, Warren Doyle obviously enjoys the, uh, the uh, you know, leading a group. Yeah. And um, with my three sons and my wife, you know, we do some pretty crazy stuff <laughs> they don't, and they don't worry about it because they know I know what I'm doing. Uh, yeah. And now they know what they're doing, too. But, uh, you know, we we've done some pretty crazy adventures and that's every bit as good as uh, as a fast ultra or a speed attempt. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Um, I was having a conversation with um ryan from gut hook who it's an app for the for through hiking um for trails around the world gut hook i'm not sure if you've heard of it but pretty much most uh through hikers these days will have this app and he was last on the podcast and you know we're talking about these experiences um that you can have just being out with nature and friends you don't necessarily need to spend six months on a trail you can have a weekend and have a great time out there Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, I think a lot of um, a lot of through hikers, uh, whether it's the AT, PCT, the Tayaroa, wherever it is, they get in this mileage mindset. They're like, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta push, I gotta push, and then they trim the weight down, and they trim the food down, and then they they don't have the ability to to take a zero. But you know, you know, I think, you know, to play devil's advocate here, I'm sure there's a lot of through hikers who don't do that, though, to be fair, you know, there's, mean, certainly, there, there's everything yeah. out there. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's Absolutely. a combination of every type of personality. And, and I know Absolutely. that a, a good saying um, on the Appalachian Trail is um, smiles over miles. So, you know, and, and, and hike your own hike. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Although I, I have over the years seen people are more hostile rats than yeah. they used to be. You know, yeah. they're, they're just focused on getting to town. And, yeah. and the goal was to be out in the wild. Yeah. And that, that, that's where I come from. But, it's like uh, an elephant. It's like a, it sounds like the way you're explaining it to me, I'm interpreting it in a way of kind of mindfulness, you know, so just being present and being happy with where you are instead of thinking about the next destination. Absolutely. And that's a general human condition to try to savor the moment yeah. or if you're just yeah. focused on the future all the time. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, Scott, I, I just want to go right back um, to the beginning and your father's name, um, Stanley here, and, uh, and also an adventurer. Could you give a, a story, one or two stories, or, or at least a, a story about one of his adventures and something that maybe stuck in your mind and inspired you as a young man? Well, his his biggest adventure was uh, the seventh Archibald ex expedition uh, to New Guinea. And so he worked at the uh, American Museum of Natural History in New York. Um, my dad, uh, when he retired, moved to Maine. I was a, a later in life event. And uh, so I lived here, but, uh, you know, the bulk of his life was in New York. And so he went on this expedition to New Guinea uh, back in 1964, which is a scientific collecting expedition. So this was one of those with, uh, you know, a, a chain of uh, or a line of 100 native carriers carrying wow. big boxes and collecting yeah. specimens. And um, he and, and the, the people in the group were the first, you know, outsiders that many of the people there had ever seen. Um, and so, uh, and this was still in the, you know, not too long after World War II. Yeah. So my, my middle name is Tanis, uh, T-A-N-I-S. And Tanis was my uh, father's friend, and he was part a cook, I believe, and uh, an Aboriginal from New Guinea. Wow. And, uh, so my father and Tanis hit it off well. And Tanis's father had been a headhunter during World War II. And the story goes that uh, that they liked long pig. And long pig was what they referred to as uh, human flesh. Wow. <laughs> Honest's father was a headhunter in New Guinea. Uh, at least that's how the story goes. And uh, so yeah. that's how I ended up with my middle name. Which, uh, you know. But anyway, he, you know, he had all sorts of fascinating stories about New Guinea and, and his time there. And, um, and you know, so that yeah. that's... That that was motivation, of course, to to do lots of different things. And of course, I've always embraced any opportunity to do crazy, wild things in the backcountry. And and you've brought up the subject there of um, names. Uh, I didn't ask you about. Did you get a trail name when you were on the Appalachian Trail? Yeah, well, it it started. Uh, they called me the Codfish Man for a while, <laughs> and that was because my dad would put. Uh, dried cod from down here on the shore he'd put the dry cod in the in boxes and send it to me on the at yeah um but the codfish man you know that that doesn't sound too cool wasn't working so <laughs> so then this uh fellow i think his name is dick coop uh he started referring to me as the uh, mr maine or the guy from maine or the maniac and before long everybody was calling me the maniac and uh, so that, that's my trail names, the maniac. Um, and, uh, you know, it fit in. I, I, you know, can be a little crazy. Uh, not, not so much anymore, I guess. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, it fit my personality and, uh, and, and it stuck. You know, um, so you've got three sons. What are their ages? Uh, I've got one that turns 21 tomorrow. Wow. And I've got 18 and 13. Are your sons, um, after knowing about your history with the Appalachian Trail, are any of them interested in actually doing a um, Appalachian Trail through hike themselves? 
Well, you'd have to ask them, but yeah. I suspect so. Yeah. Um, we've done big sections. Uh, we mm. did, let's see, when Stephen and Stanley were six and Stephen turned four, we did uh, that section from Springer to Fontana Dam in the winter. Okay. Yeah. So we did that um, February, might have been February into March, uh, and it took us three weeks. So what had taken me four days um, on the speed hike in 91 <laughs> took me three weeks with a six and four year old. And, uh, and my wife was along as well. As well. So, yeah. so, you know, that that's what's so wonderful about trails and, you know, doing outdoor things, you know, the four days was amazing, you know, but three weeks with the little ones was really cool too. Uh, and I've done it other times as well. So um, finding the challenges and the ways to enjoy the back country and hiking and running, uh, they're all good. And so I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I find that some, a lot of times people just focus on one aspect mm. and it's so much more than that. So uh, for all the ultra runners, I know that are listening, yeah. you know, finding that time to just to just be out there you know yeah. uh, you know whatever it is you're doing but you don't have to be on the go all the time you can you can use those incredible skills to take you to very remote places yeah and just hang out for a few days um you know that that's really special too uh, and also um the people make it special did you make relationships with your adventures which have lasted or at least um lasted a certain amount of time um absolutely uh my friend lone wolf you know we we're on facebook together and you know we, we don't see each other we're all over the country but he's great uh there's another guy um uh, keith kimball went by wolf he uh he went up katahdin when i uh, 91 with me and he stayed with me all the way down um, yeah. after the, the 75 miles to get there and then finish uh just at sunset uh then i had to get off the mountain yeah and i used up every last ounce of energy to get up there <laughs> now i had to get off and so he stayed with me all the way down which took wow. me many hours i don't know how many hours but it was well after midnight when we get off yeah. the mountain and uh so uh yeah he, he was great and warren doyle you know we don't talk often but we talk when something needs to be shared or yeah uh, david horton he's become a good friend uh uh you know we've been to different places together and he comes yeah. to maine and we uh you know do, nice. do things and uh, my sons actually have uh run ultras as well wow uh, so my son stanley he did uh uh, David Horton's Holiday Lake, and then um, Stephen did Holiday Lake and the Dam 50K, and uh, so they've both done done ultras. Uh, I uh, think Stephen was 13 when he did his first ultra. Yeah, it 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 sounds like a wonderful. It sounds like you're living uh, and have lived um, and are still living a wonderful life. I. I um I really admire you and I really thank you for coming on and sharing your stories and um is there kind of I know you said that a piece of advice you'd like to give to ultra runners is to um use that skill that they have to get to a special place and then savor it 
you know, and, and, and really absorb it. But how about people who um, are maybe just a little bit too scared to, to, to start that one step towards the adventure that they dream of? What's your advice to those people who haven't had these adventures yet, but are listening and, and want to go on an adventure? Well, I, I think it's just like if you uh, want to train for an ultra marathon uh, and you're, you know, 40 pounds overweight sitting on the couch. I mean, you just got to start, uh, <laughs> you know, you got to do something, uh, move in the right direction. So uh, just like with training, you'd, you'd want to walk first and then, yeah. you know, add in a little running and a little more running and more running. And, and so, you know, yeah, you don't want to jump in too deep and do something crazy, uh, but just get started, you know, yeah. get out there and do something. Um, yeah. You know, my, uh, we, uh, I got into uh, sea kayaking a number of years ago and had never really done it. And uh, so we were down in Florida. I bought three used sea kayaks and started messing around, learning the ropes. And before long, uh, I took the family and we paddled from one side of the Everglades to the other. And that was a crazy trip. Uh, we had all sorts <laughs> of wild stuff happened through there, you know, and uh, navigating the mangroves and the tides and sharks and dolphins and fish and raccoons and alligators and, you know, all the crazy stuff, snakes. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say do that your first time kayaking, but, uh, you know, get the kayak, get out there, start paddling and you know, yeah. leads to the next. Take that first step. Hey, listen, it sounds like you've got a really cool wife and I'd like to just ask you what it was like when you met her and what qualities really shone out to you. Well, um, I guess I'll tell this story. So I, I'd met her in this little village and uh, she told me she'd had a dream about me arriving. And I'd <laughs> come down the Ponga de Mainique, down the Urubamba, we started uh, Machu Picchu and then worked our way all, that, all the way down the Urubamba to her village where it uh, forms the Ucayali. And, uh, and she told me she'd had a dream about me. I'm like, oh, that sounds like a good sign, you know? <laughs> so, so we started hanging out. But then uh, when I was getting serious, it's like, all right, well, you know, I know my proclivities. I know the kind of guy I am, you know? So, so we took her to Cusco. And uh, back then you could hike the Inca Trail without any guides. You could just jump out and go. And I had done a little guiding myself there. So I was like, yeah, let's hike the Inca Trail. So, so I joke, I don't mean to offend, but I, I say I put the winometer on to measure the, the wine factor. And so as we hiked along, I'm like, nope, no, no whining at all. She seems <laughs> to like this. And by the time we got to Machu Picchu, she was like, yeah, let's get there. And she was all into it and hiking. And and uh, there was no whining at all. Yeah. So I thought, hmm, okay, yeah, we can do this. And uh, so I proposed up on uh, Waina Pichu overlooking Machu Picchu. And uh, no, how, said, how, yes. long, how long had you known her before you proposed? Well, I'd known her for a few years. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But uh, we hadn't been dating that long, you know, just, uh, you know, I don't know, a few weeks probably. But yeah. I was like, this this is it and uh, and so it's been great and she's a trooper uh she's not a big fan of winter camping uh 
Yeah, which I can relate to coming from the tropics, but all the other adventures, she, she jumps right in. That's, and, that's uh, pretty cool. And, and her goal this winter is to see a snowy owl. We have uh, yeah. snowy owls that come down from the Arctic and they uh, wow. hang out on the, the peaks here, of Mount Desert Island, Acadia National Park. Yeah. And so, but the snowies are just on the peaks. So you have to climb up the mountains in the winter to see the snowy owls. And, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we've had wow. a couple of failed attempts, but uh, that's on our, our agenda this winter. Do you take a camera or some binoculars or something? Um, just our phones. Just our oh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I would, I would just say people just need to do stuff, uh, get yeah. out there and enjoy and embrace the wilds. You know, there's less and less wildland all the time. Um, you know, appreciate nature, um, you know, learn the, learn the animals, you know, learn the birds, uh, you know, there, there's so much to it and things are changing. Um, and here, you know, I, I wouldn't know if we had climate change or not, then yeah, we do now. I mean, I'm seeing the spruce trees die along the edges of the marshes, the uh, mm. the salt marshes here on this island where I live, and the high tides flood now, and they're bringing salt water a little bit higher, a little bit higher every year. So, you know, you see 30, 40, 50 year old trees that were able to thrive, and now they're dying right on that very edge of the marshes. So, uh, there's changes. Um, we used yeah. to have lots of winter ducks that would come here to our island uh, from the Arctic, but our mussels are gone now. The blue mussels are mostly gone, and you know we just don't have the ducks we used to. So, so things are changing, and you know we need to be out there looking, observing, noticing, tuned into nature 100%, um, because you know it's disappearing fast. And yeah. uh, um, you know if if those of us who are out there in it aren't paying attention and sounding the alarm, then, then who is? And yeah. uh, so, so that, that's, that's what it's about to me. Uh, right. I, yeah. I'm thrilled to, thrilled to have been able to talk to you. I, yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. I love the ultra scene. I think it's amazing. It's taught me a bunch. I can't wait for my youngest to do his first ultra. Um, I mean, a lot of, to be honest, a lot of, of the, a lot of, of the, the people, yeah, a lot of the people on this, um, a lot of the guests are not necessarily all ultra runners. So, there's a lot yeah. of hikers and just people who appreciate being outdoors. And I may even change the title of it, <laughs> the podcast, <laughs> to maybe Outdoor Adventures or something. But just before we um, stop recording, um, Scott, I just want to ask you two questions. The first one is, what's your, um, what, what to you is the difference between failure and success? And then the second question is, what's most important or what's one of the most important things in life to you? Mm. Well, I would well, I'll ask, answer the second one first. Um, you know, uh, family to me is very important. Uh, you know, respecting, respecting and honoring those that came before um, and then those that will come after. So, um, in my case, honoring my father and um, my father was born uh, 98 years ago on January 9th. Um, you know, his fathers were born in 94, 99. And I knew both of those grandfathers when they were older. Um, so, you know, passing, 
passing what makes us special one generation to the next. Um, so um, honor, integrity, love of family, uh, passion for life, you know, passing our family traditions one generation to the next is probably the most important thing to me. So with my sons, you know, making sure they knew who I knew in my family and making sure that uh, we spend enough time doing crazy stuff in the outdoors that they knew me. <laughs> and and I'll know that they're going to do crazy stuff with their families uh, yeah. when they come around. And uh, so I think that's that's the most important. Um, but living life passionately and living life, you know, helping others. Uh, yeah. if, if somebody gets down and depressed, man, you can always help somebody, you know. If your life is rough, hey, just help somebody else. Uh, there's always, you know, a bit of us that can help someone else. So, yeah. um, and, and I, that's one of the things I really like about um, the outdoor scene and hanging out with other outdoorsmen is, you know, you, you strip away a whole bunch of stuff right away. And, you know, you're all out there, you're eat, getting eaten by the same mosquitoes, <laughs> drinking the same water. and you know, you, you get rid of all of that stuff and it's just, yeah, it's food, it's water, it's how much is in your pack, it's friendship, it's love, it's camaraderie, it's helping each other out. So I think that warmth of humanity uh, has got to be a focus. Yeah. 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 And then um, your first question there, what was... The, the, the first one was uh, to you, what is the difference between success and failure? Hmm. Well, I know when you drop out of a, when you drop out of an ultra, that's failure. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, I have a, you know, I'm, I'm all, a little on the heavy side, not quite as uh, Pillsbury Doughboy as my uh, buddy Warren, but, uh, you know, I'm a little round and, uh, you know, so when I go and do, I haven't run any this year, but normally I, I'm part of a little local running club and I run 5Ks and 10Ks and, you know, I'll get out there and there's this woman. She's a heck of a woman runner and she's, I believe, 70 or 71. Mm. She's fast and I'm sluggish now. And so we're often right in that realm. And, you know, usually I get her at the end. But when... uh a lot of races she runs and I don't, and that means I failed. She beat yeah. me. Yeah. You know, those days I, I focus in like David Horton on competition. It's like, man, she beat me today. You know, she, she ran and I didn't. So and, participation. So participation being in there. So yeah. I guess, yeah, if you're doing things, you're not failing, but if yeah. you're not doing anything, if you just gotcha drones you're not living gotcha oh, that's that's sad uh, yeah that's good man yeah that both correct answers <laughs> <laughs> hey well, i tell you it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you uh yeah uh, you know you get around here in maine come look me up oh, i'll be up there believe me um i'm going for my own uh attempt on the appalachian trail uh sometime mid uh this year, probably around June time. And um, 
Yeah, I'm going after my friend's Carol, Carol Sabay's record. He's got 41 days, eight hours and 39 minutes, or maybe seven hours, 39 minutes. So yeah, I'm going to give that a go. And uh, I'll be up in Maine, um, whether I'm on record pace or not, the goal is to finish the trail. And um, yeah, so I'll come and knock on your door. I'll come and say hi. Were you doing north to south or south to north? No, I'm heading northbound. I'm finishing in Katahdin. Very good. Well, however you finish... Uh, now, are you a vegetarian? No, no, I eat everything. All right. We will have some lobster tails fried in bacon fat. I'm coming. I'll be there. That's <laughs> one of my motivations. <laughs> there is nothing like lobster fried in bacon fat. <laughs> I never even heard of it. <laughs> All right, then I'm going I'm to end it there. Hey guys, thanks again for listening to my podcast. It's a passion of mine to speak to people who are engaged in endurance. And Scott Grierson is one of the most interesting guys I've spoken to so far. Just someone who's full of stories. And I do look forward to uh, catching up with him and having that lobster tail and bacon fat. Hey, uh, come back next week and listening to uh, Scott Returns with a couple of of his friends, uh, Warren Doyle, David Horton, and a character called Lone Wolf. See you next week.